0: Welcome to FSISAC's podcast, FinCyber Today. I'm Elizabeth Heathfield, Chief Communications Officer at FSISAC. One of the key issues facing the sector, which comes up over and over again in different guises, is the issue of cybersecurity talent, finding it, growing it, keeping it. Chris Fader, CISO of Bank of America and FSISAC board member, has some ideas on how we can better build a strong and diverse workforce of the future. We spoke to him at FSISAC's Spring Summit in Denver. Let's start talking about what the scope of the problem is here. Yeah. Is the great cybersecurity talent shortage that everybody's talking about, is that real? It is real. Um, it It's it's real
1: in a lot of different ways because I think the way the industry and a lot of large companies have approaches, they want to go hire people who have experience in cybersecurity. It doesn't exist. And I think for a long time, very few companies had development programs to build that pipeline of talent. And you're seeing more and more of those development and pipeline programs come through. You're also seeing academic universities start to pump out cybersecurity talent. And, you know, when I graduated in 2004, there, you couldn't get a degree in cybersecurity. It didn't exist. And so I do think it is very real, but I think it's evolving and changing for the positive.
0: So talk a little bit more about like the the mismatch of why firms... Think that they think that they can get this experienced talent that's already out there.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it is. It's easier to make an argument to your leadership or to your HR team that you need to post a role and pay competitively and go out in the market than it is to sit down and build a workforce plan with your HR partners on how you're going to take. um individuals who maybe have an inclination but not yet the experience and teach and develop and that that takes a lot more work that takes a lot more dedication that takes years to build and create those pipeline programs and i think the other thing is people often think of career progression as you know going up an elevator right up a skyscraper and i try to think about it as a subway map um so when you think cybersecurity in particular i think to be an effective leader today You have to understand geopolitics. You have to understand the business you're actually protecting. You have to understand, obviously, the technical nature of cybersecurity. You have to understand regulators and government and media and all of those things. And you can't do that in a vertical career. You could do that when you make many stops along the way. And I just think historically, a lot of companies haven't thought about it that way.
0: Yeah. So is the greatest part of the shortage at the bottom of the pipeline? Or is it all the way up to senior senior levels, I would
1: I would say five years ago it was it was everywhere. I think today the bottom is doing great. Like I think a lot of big companies, particularly in financial services, but even some of the major tech firms, have very strong development programs that didn't exist before. So we're seeing a great infusion of talent. So like for example, at B of a, over 50% of our intern class for technology coming in is diverse and is coming into those development and pipeline programs where they'll rotate around and learn those different skill sets. I think what we're still dealing with now is kind of at that senior manager, that executive, and even that CISO level, you're just not seeing that many people with that much experience. And you're also seeing, I think a lot of the more senior cybersecurity executives across all industries start to retire. It's a really, um, it's a really interesting career. It's, it's, But it's a lot of work and it's really hard. And I think a lot of the people who created where we are on cybersecurity today, you're starting to see retire from the community and that's creating a gap that I'm not sure those pipelines have caught up to fill yet.
0: Mm. What is the danger of where we're at in that in that perspective where there is this lack of, you know, I guess, mid to senior level, mid to senior level people to govern the direction of the programs?
1: I mean, I think the danger is people will make mistakes because they're learning. I think the positive aspect of that is FSISAC and and organizations like FSISAC and even where you and I are now at this conference, you're seeing more than ever connectivity and creativity between leaders that it always kind of existed, but never at the level it did today. And with the automation that exists today with technology to share on a on a on a hyper um, light speed basis that lessens those degrees of mistakes and increases the, um, increases the wisdom that you gain as you move into those careers. Because for example, I talk to my peers at the big banks three or four times a day, every single day. And so the ability to do that through an organization like FSISAC just makes it that much easier to be successful in those roles. Cause you're then crowd sharing. So one lesson I may learn, I could share with my peers to make sure that they don't make that same mistake that I did.
0: Yeah, that's that's great. It's a good ringing endorsement for FSI thing. <laughs> yes. um, let's talk about diversity. You mentioned it. Okay. Um you know, I think I, we've talked a lot about in the past the the business case for diversity in terms of cyber. Can we just like talk through that a little bit because I think certainly some portion of the population when they hear the word diversity, they they think that it's really about social justice, yeah. um but I think in our in our field it's really about protecting the business.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say three things, and, and depending on the day, maybe the order is different. But number one, I do believe it is the right thing to do. 51% of the population of the United States, as an example, is women. If you don't reflect the communities in which we live and we we work and we serve, like, what are, what are you doing? So you just start there that I think it is the right thing to do. So that, that's kind of a helpful underpinning. I think the second thing is, if you look in Western Europe and the United States, The people who are making financial decisions, i.e. interacting with financial services institutions, are women predominantly. We know through research and studies that it is women who are the heads of households relative to financial decisions. So if you don't have women providing that technology and protecting that technology, then you're going to lose out. So it's just a business decision. Like you would want the people who are using your products to be the people who are developing your products. It just seems an obvious, an obvious thing. And then I think the third kind of point is just looking at the threat environment. Our adversaries around the world are incredibly diverse. They're not homogenous. And so if you're trying to be right 100% of the time in in protection and your adversaries only have to do it once and they're creative and diverse and and kind of cutting edge thinking, then you have to be that and more. And so if you don't have a diverse workforce that thinks differently than 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 each other that comes from different backgrounds, then you're not going to be successful. And kind of related to that is our workforce conversation. If you're excluding large chunks of the population when you have a workforce shortage, then like, again, you're just not going to be successful. So I think it kind of comes to me, it comes down to those three things. It's the right thing to do makes sense from a business case. And then from a threat perspective, you can't not be successful and and have a focus on diversity. So.
0: So let's talk about Bank of America and the kind of programs that you have put in place and are looking to put in place to really grow a strong pipeline of of talent all the way from junior up to the senior level
1: yeah i mean i so we've started we started years ago and we continue to evolve and change and the way we look at it is you have to start right from elementary school so we start with an organization called the national center for women in technology they're actually based out here in colorado that's where they started um and every year we host them for an award ceremony for their national winners and these are young women in high school um, who are doing amazing things. Like, I'll give you a, an example. Some young woman just won the award. She took a database of hotel rooms, like the one we're in right now, and then took um, an online database of, of um, underage sex crimes, and she compared the background in the room uh, where that crime was filmed to this database of architecture in a hotel room and kind of how it was decorated and created an AI engine that matched the two of them and started a feed to federal investigators. And she's having a huge impact on shutting. So these are the kind of like young women that are coming through these programs that are just absolutely mind blowing. And then when they get out of um, high school, and they do get to college, because they're inspired by these programs. um, We work with an organization called rewriting the code, because what we're finding is if you're one of four or one of two, or the only woman in a entry level comp sci class and undergrad, we notice that they drop out a lot. But if you look across the country, all the entry-level comp sci classes are the same, whether you're at NC State or University of Colorado. So this organization connects young women who are in these classes so that they don't feel like they're alone, and they do it for Hispanic women and Black African American women and all all types of of young women. And we found success, our retention rates of young women in college go through the roof through that. And then we track them through into Anita Borg and Grace Hopper, and we hire them coming out of the conference. And then we end up with 51% of our campus and intern class coming in as being diverse. And then from there, we have internal development programs. So once they're inside the Bank of America ecosystem through that pipeline, then it's a malware development program or a hunt team development program or a rotational program on our uh, network security or our uh, web application firewalls, whatever it is, there's all these unique bespoke development programs at every stage of their career. Mm-hmm. And we're launching a new program uh, this summer, an executive education program at MIT that I'm really excited for. So even once you're past those kind of early, as you advance to our conversation earlier about that mid and senior level, we continue to develop as, as, as they progress through their careers so that they can be
0: successful. That's That's great. What would you suggest? So obviously, you're Bank of America. You have lots yeah. of resources to be able to build these kinds of programs, and you know, the the time and the and the energy to be able yeah. to do it. What would you suggest um, smaller firms do to try to create for themselves at least some level of you know a same kind yeah. of talent pipeline?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would say every size organization has an HR function. Deep professionals who understand workforce and how to manage that I would start there build your workforce plan define what you want to achieve And then at any level you can tap in all of these nonprofits and and tap into that pipeline of talent and it doesn't take money It just takes time and it takes deliberate focused effort. So you can be involved in rewriting the code or girls who code or the national center of women in tech just by volunteering to show up at a classroom or or host them in your office building for a half a day and show them what your team does it doesn't take million dollar checks to be able to do this at bank of america we feel a responsibility because of our size and skill to invest in those programs that with you know with our size and skill it's a it's a it's a thing that we take seriously but there's no anyone of any size can participate and i think it just has to be a deliberate priority
0: yeah um Let's talk a little bit about neurodiversity. Yeah. I've I've spoken before with um their colleague Craig Fuilick about it. Um and I know you have some programs about it. And yeah. you know, I think it's just an opportunity here to talk a little bit about that and also um, like the, the value of neurodiverse people, especially to cybersecurity. So can you talk a little bit about some of your work in that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say first and foremost, we haven't figured it out yet. So it's new for us. It's been a couple years. We're learning every every time we bring in another um, group of folks who, who self-identify as being neurodiverse. We're learning things like you know, what kind of workspace works the best for them and 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 what impact does noise have or sitting near windows with glare from glass, things that maybe wouldn't bother you or I or can be incredibly debilitating for someone who 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 is who is dealing with those things. And so we're learning, but we're learning a lot and it's been really successful. And it's um particularly in some of the more technical functions of cybersecurity is is really incredible. Like they're there some of these folks, their ability to focus and go deep on a topic um, is incredible, and they deserve an opportunity to be as successful as you or I are, and and have that opportunity to succeed. And the program's been great, not just for the neurodiverse candidates we're bringing in, but for our own employees and their ability to like interact and be part of the team and learn from each other through those things. And so, um, so it's been really, it's been really great for us. And I think, you know, some of our existing employees who maybe never self-identified as neurodiverse diverse before now feel more comfortable talking about that and the resources the bank and the larger community offers to help them be successful has also been like a unintended, very positive outcome of the program we've instituted. So,
0: um, let's talk a little bit about retention, right? You've talked quite a bit about, you know, kind of getting the pipeline going and the development programs, but I can also imagine that you spend all this time and effort developing these great people and then your competitor comes and wants to kind of swoop yeah. them up. So what do you what what do you do, and what advice would you give for others who have this problem? I mean, I know that we've even seen it at FSI site.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a weird answer, but I would say I'm kind of proud of the Bank of America alums who've gone to other places and been really successful. So if you look around the industry, a lot of CISOs and a lot of execs in cyber have started and learned and created their career at Bank of America and something I'm really proud of. So I don't always see attrition as a bad thing. It's it's keeping it's keeping um, it's keeping, fo- it keeping mindset healthy and keeping new thoughts flowing and those kinds of things. And I think look, the way you manage attrition is just focusing on your talent. If people feel that you care about them and that if you' if your managers are taking care of their people and your people are feeling heard through their managers, then we tend to have them stay. We've had historically low attrition um, this year. Last year I think everybody saw a lot of attrition the last couple of years because of COVID. It's not unusual, but it's we're seeing it come back down, which is which is good and healthy. But a little bit of attrition is always is always good. And I'm I am proud that we're exporting diverse talent to other places that are making the industry stronger. So yeah. yeah.
0: You know, we're seeing this convergence now between cyber and fraud, but it still seems to be kind of largely siloed yeah. in large organizations. And you know, you were talking about how People can do different kinds of um, development programs, right? And it made me think of the kind of old GE model where you know you if you're in management trainee, you got to like go to sales and then marketing and whatever. Do you think there there's space for doing that kind of program that you know maybe integrate something bigger than cyber now, so it's fraud and it's incident response and business continuity? Are you trying to build talent that has all those kinds of skill sets? Absolutely. I think you have to.
1: I think to be successful today, as you kind of progress your career, you have to have those backgrounds. So, like, just be, I've had five different jobs in 13 years at Bank of America. And so, you know, some of my my executive leadership team is similar. I'll give you one example. I have a woman on the leadership team named Mackenzie who came in through a procurement rotation program out of undergrad. Mm -hmm. And now she's one of our leading cybersecurity execs. And she's, run our incident response program. She's now running some of our assessment programs. She used to be one of our business security officers facing off to the line of business and how do they buy, build, or change tech in a secure way. So it's just, it. to your rotating around, I, th- I think it's a necessity because our adversaries are not attacking us in one vertical way, right? They're not just using malware. They're just not doing fraud or check fraud or, or, or uh, phishing or they're, they're using multiple different ways to, to come after our customers and our clients and our, and us. And so we have to be as, as well-rounded and understand those different things and how they all work together to be successful. So, and frankly, I think it makes it fun to be in cybersecurity. Yeah. Right. Like, so yeah.
0: Um, okay. Is there any other advice you would want to give to, you know, CISOs and people who are trying to you know, struggle with this talent, yeah. this talent issue, um, especially in the you know changing operating environment that we have and the recession that we may yeah. or, you know be facing. You know, what kind of advice would you give them over the next you know short to medium term?
1: I would just say stay involved in FSISAC and use the talent in the pipeline that's here. So if you're dealing with budgetary constraints or challenges there, like leverage the peers, leverage you know the innovative thought that other people are doing on how to be more efficient, how to be faster leverage you know we just had on stage here at fsi sec 22 scholarship winners uh young women who are who are um, in undergrad right now and will be graduating soon like go pick up some of that talent go and in, invest in those communities um but leverage the relationship i think that's what makes us all stronger and more resilient as uh as an industry so
0: great anything else you want to say
1: no thank you no oh, thank fun. you That's cool <laughs> yeah
0: Thanks again to Chris for being our guest on this episode. If you like this podcast and want to hear from more Cyber leaders around the world, subscribe to the podcast at fsisec.com slash insights, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And of course, follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you learned something.